lovely to see you, Mike. And it's a pleasure to have you with us here on our Humans at Work podcast. And this series is all about human skills. So we are very much looking forward to what you have to say and the wisdom that you have to share in and around human skills. But before we go any further, I would love if you could introduce yourself and share a little bit about what it is that you do, where you're from, and some of the clients that you work with. Wonderful. I'm happy to be here with you, Michelle, and welcome. Um, you know, it's a, it's a nice welcome into season two of this wonderful podcast that you're, that you're running and talking to leaders from all over the world. And I happen to be many hours away from you in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so central United States, north central United States. We border Manitoba, Canada. Um, I grew up here, so I've, I've lived in other places um, at different points through the years, but this is, this is home for me. Mm-hmm. And it's really the last four years that I think have changed the focus of my career. So I, I worked in um, many different fields. I had a marketing agency for 13 years and went into the technology space with startups and then did um, some big, large uh, mergers and acquisitions with with large global corporate firms, publicly traded firms. I did five of those, and then four years ago, I I stepped out of that role and really started to explore what was next. And um, I started consulting, and primarily going into companies and looking at the the challenges and the block the blockages that they were having and moving their businesses forward, helping them innovate and bring people together. Um, That launched into um, some work called, um, um, it was a a high achieving team program. So I traveled around the country and brought that program to teams. And it was at that time, Michelle, that I really recognized that people were hurting in the workplace. That while I was being brought into take teams through a process of becoming high performing or high achieving, I recognize that they were barely, they were, they were barely performing at all, that they weren't cohesive, that people were kind of suffering and that they weren't even high functioning teams, much less high achieving teams. Mm. um, So that has really led to, you know, the work I'm doing now, I, I do speaking, I do workshops and what I really love is to go in and go deep inside of a company and, and look at specific problems and help them sort those out. Um, that's where I find probably my unique combination of skills can be most useful. Mm. And what do you find? I know this is a big question, but what do you find some of the common problems are in companies that you go into? It's misalignment with the strategy and objectives and their processes set in place to perform against those. And so it, and and I know that sounds like a really simple thread, but it's very, very common that the idea of what they're achieving is not matched with how they're set up Mm. to go down that path. The reality of the day-to-day requirements of mm, what they're doing. And people's experiences along that journey is is often a breaking point which all the research supports right i mean if if in the us i think it's 70% engagement worldwide it's uh, or 
70% disengagement. Engagement, yeah. It's similar in Australia, similar statistic, yeah. Yeah, and while that isn't the end all, it's a good data point, um, you know, how that's measured. But Galbus has been tracing it for many, many years, right? It's nearly 20 years now that they've been tracing that. So there's a, there's a good, um, it's a good standard data point to work off of. Yeah, and it always it always um, strikes me as interesting that in workplaces we tolerate that because if you think about what you're actually tolerating, it's the equivalent to someone coming into you and selling you a safety system and saying, oh, by the way, we know this safety system works really well approximately 30% of the time. Like you would not buy that safety system <laughs> and yet we tolerate that in our humans all around us because we don't understand it um, right. all the time. It's it's very interesting and, and I think um, tolerate is probably the best word, Michelle. I love the way that you put that in because it's 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 not acceptable, is it? I mean, at 50%, it's not acceptable. And if we're not able to move it over a period of time, something's going wrong. We're asking the wrong questions or we're answering the challenges in a, in a, in a manner that's not working. Yeah. And I think, look, I think one thing that I see a lot in workplaces is that the modern workplaces were designed during the industrial revolution. So no workplaces are actually designed for humans. There's no human design behind workplaces. And I think that's one of our most challenging problems is that we're trying to work in this infrastructure and this system and this way of thinking that is not even designed for our human brain in the first place. Yes. And it goes back to the bureaucratic models of Max Weber before the turn of the, you know, the, the 20th century. And then um, I think was, was furthered with Taylorism and, you know, while Peter Drucker later on, starting in the 50s, did some good work around management, I think in a lot of ways that work in was was very much aligned with that bureaucratic or industrial um, um, systems thinking. And management really turned leadership into a synonym that it became secondary to just driving the maximum performance on an hourly basis with, with a, um, with a specific output. Mm -hmm. And I think we still operate in that kind of punch clock world from a a leadership and, and corporate structure. I, I agree. And it's been very interesting to watch the impact of COVID in terms of working from home and, Um, shaking up the organisational culture a little bit that COVID has been able to do in a good way, I think, for organisations. And I I don't know what it's like in the US, but in Australia, I think it's rocketed us 10 years ahead of where we ever would have been in terms of flexible workplaces and being open to some of those ideas because there was an awful lot of closed off, you know, minds to a lot of those ideas pre-COVID. Yes, um, management by walking around no longer works in that environment. No, that's right. Um, well, I think I, I would argue management doesn't work in that environment, and it's only it's it's only leadership that becomes the single most important thing. Yeah, and and it really forced that awakening, didn't it? 
because yeah. there was no choice of running an experiment or doing a test. It just happened all at once. And as people then look to make the, the, the adjustment to adapt to the reality, um, the bad behaviors became very apparent. The good behaviors became very apparent. And I think it was much more clear what the choices were. And I think it opens up doors for us in the future of now, how do we plan going, coming out of this with a better understanding of what people need to perform well? Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, Can you tell us in your experience of leadership, what's the one thing that you would like to see most leaders have more of? Relationships with their people is the absolute number one thing. It doesn't get talked about enough and there's nothing more important than the relationships with those you work with. Mm. Well, that and that really leads us into the next conversation around human skills because one of the things that I see when working with relationships with people in a coaching sense is a lot of people, even senior executives, don't have well-developed human skills. And I don't know what you see um, in your market, but something like I'll be working with CEOs on listening or on questioning or, you know, fairly fairly what I would call basic but essential human skills. And very often we haven't been trained on those skills. So I'm just interested in what you see um, in the U.S. market. I think that is common here as well. I think it's, it's pretty universal that um, those, those interpersonal skills were not the traits and characteristics, the, the kind of flawed, fabled, um, uh, idyllic characteristics that we, that we kind of built this, this uh, avatar of a leader to, to look like, act like, and feel like, right? So um, either they were extremely smart and proficient in one area of business and they, and they would push through and, and, and rise and get promoted along the way with that great skill, or they were great personalities and great personas and, and they, they basically just stood out amongst the crowd. Um, I think that that whole progression of who gets selected to lead mm-hmm. is probably one of the most broken systems that, that we have. Um, that it's, uh, um, it, it, although stack ranking has, you know, fortunately been dismissed to a large extent, it was popular with GE and Jack Welsh and, you know, those days Microsoft was using it under Steve Ballmer. And, you know, there's many examples where that stack ranking kick out the bottom 10% and, and, you know, just have people kind of claw and climb over each other to get to the top of the bucket. Um, that wasn't sustainable. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that there was a lot of good, caring, supportive human beings that were helping other people along the way that simply got elbowed and kicked off the ladder and washed out at the bottom of the bucket. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that's one of the important questions, isn't it? In workplaces is how do we, how do we create cultures where it's kindness and courage and braveness that are rewarded and not kicking the other person off the ladder that's actually rewarded? 
You know, I would, uh, there's certainly processes, Michelle, that, that, um, and, and trainings that companies can go through to, to get to that team dynamic, because that's what's important is there's interdependency, which then brings the, the respect and, and conversation and the relationships to a different level because it's more of a natural team dependency like a sports team would naturally have. Um, but in the business world, it's, we call teams, they're really just a collection of, of people that yeah. don't have necessarily teaming goals. They don't have accountability for the other or responsibility for the wellness of the group. And so part of it is put the right measures in and reward the right behaviors. The second thing, and this is probably the harder one, it, we have to change the mindset. And that is probably the thing people are least willing to do because they want to go back to the default known state of this is the way it's always worked. I know how to play that game. I can get ahead and get promoted and, and forge through the, the, down the path in this way. But don't tell me I have to change my mind about how that works because now I, I would have to retool, reskill, and I don't want to. And also it requires personal ownership for someone to change their mindset, and that requires effort. <laughs> and when you, when you acknowledge that you want to own something like your own mindset, it also means you can't blame everyone around you anymore. And that's a game that a lot of people like to play. So I think all of those things together, you you know, quite rightly, um, make it challenging for people to change their mindsets. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Especially when we look at skills, Michelle, because you take work skills, right? Like we can all learn them basically in 90 days and then we can build our proficiency at, any particular business skill over time. And the growth of, say, an accounting skill or uh, financial modeling or decisioning and negotiation skills, they kind of tap out at some point, right? Like you cap off, you, you know, after a while, you can just look at the, the, the financials of a company and get a really quick read where there are gaps and where there are opportunities. You can look at the performance of teams and you can find some some gaps and, you know, they, they kind of stand out. You just, you learn that over time, but there's no personal growth in that. There's just application of what you already know and yeah. more experiences that probably get you a decision point faster. But if we really look at human development, human growth, right, and we look at happiness and fulfillment in life, we're all complex human beings and and we we don't encourage that whole human approach where if, if I'm already great at my accounting job and I'm going to go through a growth spurt, aren't there some other areas that are of interest to me that I can grow in that will, that will um, let me bring more wisdom, more context, more variety into my discussions, interactions, new mm. perspectives. And there's a whole um, slate full of skills along those in those areas um, that we can grow with. And that type of growth isn't promoted or isn't encouraged. And that's a big opportunity for us. 
Yeah, it is. And it's also really saying that human skills require you to focus on holistic growth, which I really like, um, yeah. rather than the transactional skills that you're talking about, about learning accounting or whatever. It becomes a transformational journey and an experience when you are truly developing yourself in a holistic way as a human being. I love that, Michelle. And and when they truly are recognized as human skills, then we also realize that the the last thing we want to do is train me to be you or train you to be somebody else. And so it's like, well, here's the thing, Michelle, we have this other person next to you and and that seems to be an appealing set of skills they have. So drop yours and who you are and become more like them, right? We've been told that since we were kids. I think, I think that's like one them. thing, again, that workplaces don't do well. They don't recognize and leverage people's strengths. Yes. And they also don't shape the role that someone is around their strengths in the first place. And yes. to me, that's totally backwards. If you have a position description and you're trying to force someone into the restrictions of a position description, of course, that's not going to work very well. <laughs> but if you build it off the back of who they are and what they love to do, then that's an extremely different um, circumstance. Yes. And, and think of the growth to that where we're in a conversation and I understand what's important to you and areas that are exciting or you have curiosity about that are intriguing and you would like to fill out that part of your life. And, and now that I understand that I, I encourage you and, and support you in chasing that because you're growing as a human being, all of the task skills that you already have in the job are going to be there and they're going to be utilized really well. Cause you're going to come in with a great attitude. You're going to be, learning things and exploring and feeling like you're growing. It's baffling to me that we dismiss and ignore that great opportunity. Mm. Everybody uh, in their uniqueness. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want you to circle back to the question I asked you earlier about leadership. And you said the thing that you would feel needs to be developed the most is relationships. So what I want to ask you now is out of all of the different skills that relationships take, which skill do you think is most absent in workplaces? Or not absent, but least developed. Least developed skills in the workplace and perhaps even at home, I think, is listening. Listening, yeah. Uh, there's so much growth in, um, in listening learning to listen. There's actually some really good teachings and programs and, and, um, but it's not a one-off skill. Like you, I think it's hard to just become a great listener and not be able to put it into context. And so it's really nice to learn it in the context of the environment where you're most utilizing it. Yes. Yeah. I always talk about the difference between listening to and listening through. And I think there's, you know, it's interesting. You're probably aware of Oscar Trimboli's work, are you, on listening? Yes, yes. Fabulous. Yeah, it's fabulous work. And I think he, he does such a service to the topic by doing a big deep dive in an area where a lot of people would otherwise just skim over. 
Yes. Mm. And um, what I love about his approach and his work is it's not like it's not a course, it's not a test, right? It's a journey of improvement. It's a it's a constant improvement process that becomes natural for each of us and our and fits our character and our personality as well. So we we get to apply it again in the environments where where it becomes um, active and beneficial. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, can you just tell me about your what Humans First is all about? And then I want to ask you about your book. Yes, thank you. Humans First came out of that work that I was doing with when I looked at the condition of employment, um, other research is saying 120,000 unnecessary deaths happen every year because of workplace stress and toxic workplaces. That was research that came out of Stanford and um, and that the, 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 the thing with humans first was I know that if we take care of the people in business, people will take care of the business yeah. and that given the opportunity, people will amaze us. And um, and I had experienced that in those five mergers and acquisitions where I was thrown in you know, to be the leader of, of big teams that were, you know, in the, in the middle of chaos with fear and doubt. And my approach was very different. And many of them didn't believe me. It took them a long time. But, but over time, they realized that th- their achievement was the reason that we all got up and went to work. Mm. And they understood what their contribution was. And so, Humans First was was really an opportunity to get people in the room and go deeper into conversation, simply asking, what is it like to be human in the workplace today? If many of us have experienced one thing and the research is saying um, this information, let's let's really pull people together and infuse topics and just open up dialogue and hear stories, mm. hear reality of what's going on. And it was amazing, Michelle, because first of all, I, you know, some, some fabulous people, friends of mine now came, came in and, and volunteered to do this with me. And groups of people came together in you know, 15 different cities across the US and, and, uh, and in London. Um, we did three plus hours in these cities, infuse some topics. And then there was rich dialogue in a very psychologically safe environment. And there was a lot of emotion. The shares went really deep. It got very um, personal and revealing. And, and again, it just proved that point that given the opportunity, people will go so far and they're yeah. willing to open up and share. I entirely agree. And I always talk about creating the conditions. And I think our primary role as leaders is about creating the conditions for psychological safety so that humans can just do what humans do, which is their natural brilliance. But unless someone actually creates those conditions up front and almost gives people permission to be who they need to be, um, you know, that's really the role of leaders, I think, today. Yes. 
and I think that's really well stated. And 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 I think it's growing in awareness that those are the that's what's going to be asked for. I think leaders of the future are going to be navigators through a lot of constant change rather than monitors and controllers yeah. of a state state. Yeah. Um, change is going to be more rapid and, and more um, significant than, than any time in the past. And that agility, that ability to bring people along is going to be a critical skill. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I noticed that you've published a book called Believership and I would love you to share with us what Believership, and it's a fantastic title, might I add. Um, I'd love you to share with us what Believership is all about and also how people can grab a copy. I really appreciate this, Michelle. Believership, and then the, the subtitle is The Superpower Beyond Leadership. And the real premise of the book is we we again we create these containers and of the idyllic leader and there's a model there that we've adhered to for a long period of time this this package of traits and characteristics and you know it's 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 a fable right it's it's um you know men that can take their country to war it's this idyllic you know carved in marble kind of figure and um and what's happened is it's not working, right? So we have um, company turnovers. We have companies that aren't able to adapt to new environments and they're failing. Fortune 500 turnover, S&P 500 turnover, industries collapsing, Sears and Blockbuster and, you know, the hotel industry has changed. And, and so we have this old thinking that's not suiting us. Well, believership, the superpower beyond leadership is really just the premise that the leader doesn't have a lot of value unless people believe in the vision, the mission, or the person, and willfully commit themselves to do great work. So there's no leader that has accomplished anything on their own. It's a lot of people doing a lot of brilliant things along their side because they believed in something along that path. Mm-hmm. And so the true value of leadership is having other people believe and then commit and activate their best efforts mm. along that journey. And I think that becomes the magic to um, innovation, to you know, a lot of the transformation and technology waves that we're going to be adopting is our ability to, to um, bring people together and navigate through change is a critical skill and that takes a lot of belief. Yeah, it does take a lot of belief. And it's so great because I've never seen any other kind of leadership related book talk about belief like that. Not certainly not on the, you know, not on the front page as the title of the book. So um, good on you for really focusing on that need that we have to be able to connect in with people and bring them along. And I know when I started my business being more human, one of the things that I was really looking at in workplaces was I was seeing this over-focus on measurement and people were focused on KRAs and KPIs and all the different ways of measuring, but almost at the expense of the experience that the human was actually having. 
So that's the gap that I saw is that humans were coming into the workplace and they weren't even validated for having an emotion or being a real person or, um, you know, having a bad day or doing something well. All of that was ignored and they were just being pushed into this corner to deliver and produce almost like, you know, being treated like you're a robot in many respects. And I know... Yeah, and I know that I see that around a lot in different workplaces that I go to, but I also know that that can change. And I guess that's what really um, made me feel like I wanted to interview you because um, some of your background and connection to that idea of putting humans first and really looking at the implications of what that means for somebody and how, how seen someone can actually feel when they are in the right environment. Yes. And it's interesting because the the change is very necessary. It's not necessarily going to be easy, however. And I think that's what people look like is, well, if this is really the path that we need to go down, wouldn't it be more apparent and wouldn't it happen more naturally? And the answer, I believe, is no. The most, the easier path or the one that will appear most natural is the one that we're already on, that that's already well-defined. We have to choose that that's not the right path and, yeah, and make the, right. the effort. And what I love what you brought up and that, that raised for me is in the book, it really defines there's a big difference between choice and command. And when we can drop the century old process of command, that's through the whole industrial era and start to embrace this idea of choice when people truly believe and they choose, they will do amazing things. We yeah. can count them to do amazing yeah, they, things. They, they will. And when you talk about experience, I, there's a there's a um, there's a line in the book that that there's a paragraph in the book that basically talks about we we it will be good for us to stop measuring people on the experience where telling them they're supposed to have <laughs> yep, and start asking them what experience they're actually having. Mm. <laughs> and Profound. Profound. That's a big difference. Yep. That is a big difference. All right. With our final words of wisdom from you this morning, what would you like people to take home after listening to this podcast around human skills? What I would encourage people is, I believe we're coming into a time where where each individual really is empowered to own the way they feel and that we don't have to hide or think we're oddballs or we're not um, conforming to the workplace or we're missing something. I would like to encourage and assure people that there are thousands and thousands of us out there like you, Michelle, who understand this is not only desirable, this is an imperative to be able to navigate the changes that are coming. And we can do better to help each other understand and support each other. And so even if you're in an environment and these concepts don't feel like they're possible, there are a lot of places to reach out and find people all over the world that have this belief. And, And I believe as you're doing now, bringing me in and and having us be together, Michelle, is we need to unite because there is no one best way. Yeah. It's all of us in our uniqueness. And that, that, that just 
defines diversity and inclusion right there. Absolutely. Room, absolutely does. Yeah. It allows so, diversity and inclusion to happen. I saw a really um, great visual image of diversity and inclusion just yesterday when I, something that I was watching and they were talking about diversity and inclusion being a puzzle and they were talking about every single human is a piece to the puzzle and if you are not there, then there's going to be a piece of the puzzle missing and that's not a good thing. <laughs> so it was, I th- it was a great way to bring in the importance of everyone being part of the picture. And I think it's also, um, it's also important for us to realise that the companies that we build through diversity and inclusion are going to be so much more robust and resilient and all of the things we're looking for in our current companies half of the reason that it's not there is because they're not diverse and they're not inclusive. Yes. There's, um, there's good data out there that supports that. I think it, it feels intuitive to, to many of us. And, and again, I, I, I so encourage people to um, find those that are on this path of discovery and, and em- embrace that and know that there's growth ahead and, you know, with Humans First, I call it, it's the least exclusive club you'll ever join. <laughs> it really is just open dialogue where we can discover these topics, go into conversation, but mostly connect with people around the world and build relationships. Because once we realize we're all connected and we're supporting each other, I think that great change can happen. Absolutely. And if people want to contact you, Mike, how do they go about doing that? There is a contact form on both of my websites. So humansfirst.club is mm-hmm. one. mjvacanti.com. That's another place. Um, I'm on social media. So LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook, please reach out, say hello. Um, you know, just, just say hello. Let me know you heard me on on your wonderful show, Michelle, and um, I'm happy to connect and, and connect them again to other people all over the world. I think it it takes the many different ideas and the many different streams moving in that new, better direction. Thank you. And thank you so much for giving us some insight into human skills and also into some of the initiatives that you've started. I really appreciate your time this morning, Mike. Thank you. This is such a joy. I appreciate you and the work you're doing and congratulations on season two in this leadership journey, Michelle. Thank you very much.